Let's open our Bibles, shall we? Joel chapter 2. We looked at Joel chapter 1. We are going to do a quick trip through the book of Joel. It's only three chapters. We're going to be here for about three weeks. We did last week Joel writing about 3,000 years ago, but a message that's still valuable, that's still powerful for us here today, like 3,000 years later. Why? Because things don't change much, but also the biggest reason probably is because we're getting closer and closer to that culmination of, of the history of this planet. Joel's message, really, his whole purpose was to turn the nation back to God. As most of the prophets, that's what their message was over and over again, to turn the people back to God because they've been following him at one point in time. They wandered away. They turned away. And the message of the prophet was, you need to get right. You need to get back. You need to do what God wants you to do. 57 imperatives in this short three chapters. Hear, listen, tell it, wake Wake up, wail, mourn, and grieve, despair, fast, call to him. They had, an act, they had an actual invasion of locusts. You know what locusts are? I didn't really define this last week, but they're like grasshopper. Grasshopper. And so they had this incredible invasion, just worse and worse and worse, and it created this huge crisis in the land, economic, because, you know, their, their whole economy was based on agriculture, and the, the crisis was just insane. But then it affected them spiritually as well, because they had no way to bring offerings to the Lord. Does it get their attention? Questionable. When we face these crises in our lives, in our society, in our own personal lives, does it get our attention? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The, the quote I uh, read to you last week uh, that Warren Wiersbe said, how many people, after these things happen, how many people ask, what is God saying to us? I have not heard that in our country's dialogue. What is God saying to us? No, it's like, well, it's the Democrats, it's the Republican, it's the, you know, it's the Congress, it's this, that, and the other thing. But what is God saying to us in all this? The day of the Lord, another major theme here in the book of Joel. So chapter 2, we pick it up there. After this locust invasion had described, chapter 2 is like in a, it's like a picture of what's coming. If you thought this devastation, this crisis, this... Uh, desolation that came through the locust was bad. Wait till you see what the future holds. Watch out. It's a coming, it's a picture of what's coming in the future for them and perhaps for us as well. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the, the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. He repeats this idea that the, the, this day of the Lord is coming. Are we ready for it? And again, throughout history and, and, and the history of the Old and New Testament, there's you know the day of the Lord when the Lord got involved in a decisive way, in a, in a, in a way in the, in the, the events of, of the human race. But there's also the day of the Lord coming when, when the culmination of it all will take place. And those, that what we call the end time events begin to take place. The day of the Lord. There were three kind of, uh, you know, 
possibilities of what he's beginning to describe here in chapter 2. One, uh, some said, well, maybe it's more locusts that are coming. Well, God forbid if that would happen, it was already so bad. Another was the, you know, that there would be an invading army that would come. And certainly that did take place for the nation of Israel. We, we had you know, invaders coming from Assyria, from Babylon. Or the third possibility is what I've just described, this final army, this final apocalypse. We know that we've seen that term thrown around lately. But look at some of the description. And, and Joel is this writer where he just like pours it out. Look at this description in verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Joel just says, man, listen, look how bad, look at, look at what we're talking about here. And, and you say, well, you know, but, but, but I came to church to hear like a really nice, encouraging, you know, heartwarming message with a lot of stories and a lot of, you know, things like that. I'm just teaching what the Bible says here. And the Bible says, watch out. The Bible says, get ready. That's what he said in verse 1. Sound the trumpet. Blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. You, you know, are there, are there the voice that's coming from the Word of God saying to you and I, we need to do what we need to do to get ready? Have we, have we asked the question, God, what are you trying to say in all of this? For me personally, but also for the nation. Darkness, gloom. Verse 3, before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes, before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, and behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. I, I, I had to stop at that illustration there. He says, before it was like the Garden of Eden, it was like beautiful. You can read about the Garden of Eden, it's like incredibly beautiful, this, this, this place that God had created for the human race to live in before chapter 3 of Genesis. But he says after this happens, like it's just waste. It's gone. Verse 4, they have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. That's not cavalry. That's cavalry. And with a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. Verse 6, at the sight of them, nations are in anguish, and every face turns pale. You thought the locusts were bad. I read recently uh, through the uh, Little House on the Prairie series, any of you ever read those? Like maybe when you were a kid or something, it's still good reading. But they, you know, they were on the prairie and they faced those locusts and they, you know, their whole future was based on this crop coming in and the locusts came and, and they just wiped it. They tried to stop them. They could not stop them. But here we see it's way bigger than that. He says, he says nations, nations are in anguish. What God has in store, nations will be in anguish. But not only that, he says every face, it gets down to the individual. It's not just the nation because a nation is made up of individuals, people like you and me. But every face turns pale, like, whoa, what is going on? Verse 7, they charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other, each marches straight ahead. 
They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Incredible stuff that's happening. This is not a very nice thing that's happening. But again, it's not just out there. It actually, they actually climb into the houses. They come into where you and I live. Is this going to affect us? Yes, it is. Unless, as we're going to get to verses 12 and 13. We'll get to that in a minute. They climb into the houses. Verse 10, the earth shakes before them. The sky trembles. The sun and moon are darkened. And the stars no longer shine. That's the kind of language we read in other places about the end times, isn't it? The sun and the moon darken. The stars no longer shine. Verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of His army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey His command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. And who can endure it? Notice there are a few things in that Verse 11, number one is that the Lord is thundering at the head of his army. Now, it may, it, it may be a foreign nation that is being used in that particular state, but the Lord is sovereign. He's still in charge. He's still on the throne, and he's using it, and God has used foreign nations. In the nation of Israel, he used the Assyrian army, the Assyrian nation. He used the nation of Babylon to bring judgment upon the people of Israel because of turning away from him. But look at that in the middle of verse 11. And mighty are those who obey His command. I had to stop there for a minute too. Mighty are those who obey His command. Yeah, we're talking about that army there, but isn't that also true for you and I? When we are obedient to the command and obedient to follow after Him, something happens. And something happens within us. There's nothing like following Jesus Christ and being obedient to what He wants us and calls us to do. But the third thing in that verse is the day of the Lord, it's great, it's dreadful, and who can endure it? Well, you know, we think, well, maybe I'll, I'll be spared. It's not going to affect me. No, no, no. Malachi chapter 3 talks about, he says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Revelation chapter 6, he says, they, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Revelation chapter 6. This is Bible stuff, people. This is not some guy making up stories and trying to get you to freak out. This is what the Bible says. Which brings us to verses 12 and 13, which I believe are the key verses in this section that we're looking at today, verses 12 and 13. He says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. He says, rend your heart and, and not your garments. He said, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Here in verses 12 and 13, it's, an in, it's on an individual level. Later in verse 15, he's talking about corporately where he calls them all to gather together. But, but first he speaks to the individual, he speaks to you and to me, and he says these words, 
to you and to me. And let's just answer some diagnostic questions about what is he saying here. The first question we want to ask her is when? There's a challenge here, but the question is when? What is the answer? Let's do a little um, inductive Bible study here. What's the, what's the answer to the question of when? Now. 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 Even now, he says. Not tomorrow or not just before I die or not later on, not after I see this, that, and the other thing happening. He says now. That's something we need to remember. It's, you know, we, 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 I am like you in most of you anyways, that I like to procrastinate. I don't know how many of you like to procrastinate. If I could just put it off a little bit longer, uh, you know, I don't even want to deal with that. I'll deal with that tomorrow, maybe. And then tomorrow comes, and well, I'll deal with it the next day. That stuff we, we're having these folks do here, well, you know, we're procrastinating. We'll, have, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll do that another time. Truth is, some of the stuff that's down there was from the previous church, and it was probably from, you know, the group before them. And, the, you know, I mean, we procrastinate. We put things off when we need to say, you know what, now is the day. Now is the time. Don't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow may be too late. And you say, well, you're trying to frighten me now. No, I'm just reading what it says. I'm just, this is what God's Word says now, even now. Before things happen. Well, if I see this, the kind of stuff that's described here, well, you don't want to see this kind of stuff that's described here. Now make a decision. Next question is what? What is he asking us to do? Return. Exactly. That's the next question. Return. And, and when he's speaking about returning here, there's a Bible word. I mentioned it last week, this word repent. It means to change direction. It means to do an about face, to change the way we think, to change our mind. And, and, and you and I need to, to think about what he's saying. What does he want us to do? He wants us to, to turn and return to him. And maybe you're following him right now and your eyes are completely and totally fixed on him. Obviously, you do not need to turn away so that you can turn back. I, I, I think about it here, you know, say, well, you know, it, it's going to be so much more meaningful to follow after God if I just, you know get involved in all the bad stuff and then I'll know how good it is to follow God. No, 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 no. Definitely not. It's so much better not to sin than to sin and be forgiven. You will be forgiven because the Bible says if we come to Him, He'll forgive us. But the fruit of that is, is horrible. It's always better to resist and to follow and not go the bad direction than it is to go and then come back. Always, always, always better. The way's always open. I want to reiterate that, but but always better. But he's saying here that, that the idea is to return. How about this question? How deep and how much? What's the answer to that one? Come on, Bible scholars, students. How deep and how much? Speak it up a little louder so I can hear you. With all, with all your heart. With all your heart, he says. Return to me, he says, with all your heart. Return to Him, first of all. But He says, how, how much should it be with all your heart? Not just a little bit. Not just a little bit on Sunday. You know, I, I, I grew up with a, a, a you know, guy like Keith Green. How many of you remember Keith Green? 
you know, he, he put out an album and, and there was a book that, about his life and it was called No Compromise. And, and really the kind of message was no compromise and commitment that was deep with all of your heart. And what I'm seeing today, and it, it's so disturbing, it's so disheartening, it breaks my heart, I'm seeing just the opposite from, from uh, you know, different segments, different people, different individuals. Compromise and very low commitment. Now, I'm not here to hammer on you. I'm just saying that, that he's saying here, this is what the Bible says. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just a little bit of us on a Sunday. He wants us to turn our whole hearts to him. That's why in the book of Revelation, it says what? You, you know, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. And if you're lukewarm, I'm going to what? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because that, that just doesn't cut it. If you're going to follow him, follow him. If you're not, then don't. But don't try to be in the middle somewhere in this lukewarm kind of place because it's no good for you. It's no good for him. How deep and how much with all your heart? How? Another question, how? What does he talk about here? Fasting, prayer, what else? What else does it say? Look at the verse I tell my kids at the, at the school there. Don't look at me. Look at the verse. What does it say there? With fasting and weeping and mourning. Fasting and weeping and mourning. And, and well, pastor, again, where's the, the, the happy message? You know, I came to church to get happy. Well, let me tell you, one of the verses that we looked at over at the school was found in Matthew chapter 5, and it said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed, and, and the, uh, one way of translating that word blessed is, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You say, you know, this is the way, this is the way up. This is the way to, to find happiness, is to get down and mourn and weep and, and fast before our great and mighty God. You know, God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. He gives grace to those that, that, that mourn and weep and that come to him. You know the parable of the, 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 the righteous man who gets in there and says, you know, I'm, I do all this for you, God, and I've given all this. And, and then the other guy who comes and says he beats his, his chest and he says, you know, God, have mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one was justified? It was the one that, that humbled himself and came. This is throughout the Bible, folks. This isn't just here in Joel. This is throughout the Bible of us turning back to him and coming with a place of a heart of, of humbling ourselves in mourning, weeping, and fasting. It's serious stuff. Yes, it is serious stuff, but this is what God is, is asking. He says there in verse 13, to rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart and not your gar garments. We, we talked about how deep and how much, and it's got to be from the deepest part of us. It's got to be from the heart. Because there were people, you know, they, they, they were really good. They, you know, uh, the, in, in the Jewish mindset, if you, like, ripped your garment, that was a sign of, you know, you were humbling yourself. And they were really good, man. They, they probably, you know, they had, you know, Lots of garments, and they could just rip those things. Wow, look how spiritual that guy is over there. He just ripped his garment, and it's like, wow, he's, he is so 
on fire for God. He just ripped it. Look at that. Wow. Don't any of you start to try to do that right now, please. That would not be pretty. But the point, the point that he's making here is, is it's no good to rip the outside if the inside is still just completely unaffected. And they were very good at doing that. And you know what? I think the, the truth is that you and I are very good at doing that too. We're looking like all spiritual on the outside. In the inside, another one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, you know, you're, you, gotta, you look really good like you're alive, but you know, inside you're like dead. The Pharisees, they, they were really good at this. And, and Jesus said about them, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. They honor me with their lips. They're saying all the right stuff. They're wearing all the right stuff. They're doing the right thing. He says, but their hearts are far from me. And if you can't come with your heart, then don't bother coming at all. I think that's a line from Keith Green. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we're not going to look at the whole psalm, but just one verse from Psalm 51, kind of the summary of it all. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is really a psalm of repentance. You can read it. It's, it's an incredible prayer of David after he had blown it. And he comes back to the Lord, Psalm 51, and you can read later Psalm 32, what, what God does after he comes in repentance. And this is kind of a theme of this chapter too, is those that come in Joel chapter 2, how God honors. But look at Psalm 51, verse 17. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That's what God wants from you and me. That's what God wants from you and me. One person said this, the repentant heart is the only soil in which the regenerated heart can grow. That's where we're going to grow when we are... When, you know, I, I, I was, you know, thinking about that verse, you know, blessed are those that mourn. And, and you know, I, I, had to, I had to actually tell myself it's okay to mourn. Because I'm thinking, well, this isn't right, being like, thinking like this, being down. And, and no, it's okay to mourn. In fact, it's healthy. It's okay to weep. Some people, they don't ever want to cry. They don't want to weep. They don't want to feel that way well you know what it's okay and it's good joy comes in the morning weeping may last for a night but joy comes in the morning another quote i want to read to you and this is very important he says there's only one way to escape the judgment of god true repentance there's only one way to escape the judgment of god true repentance turning to him humbling ourselves before him Let's turn back to Joel. One more diagnostic question I want to I want you to answer. And that question is this, why? The answer is found there in those verses 12 and 13. Who wants to tell us why? 
I hear somebody talking about it. You got to talk a little bit louder, though. And? Okay. See, this is what we call inductive Bible study. You have a question, and you look at the passage to see what the answer is, because the answer is right there. Why would we turn back to God? Why would we do it now? Why would we give him all of our hearts? Because of who he is, you see. Because of the character, the nature of who this God is. And look what it says about him here. It says he is gracious. He's gracious. He is full of grace because he is compassionate. He has compassion on you and me. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. That's why. That's why we go to him. Because of who he is, he is incredible. In Romans chapter 2, he says this, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? Why would we turn to him? Why? Because he loves us, because his kindness, because of who he is, his grace, his compassion, his, his love, his patience, his tolerance towards you and me. We love him because he first loved us. Always, always. We respond because of his love for us, for you and for me. Back to Joel chapter 2, the last part of verse 13 they're very interesting if you look at this, what he's saying here. It says in the, the, the last section, the last phrase in verse 13, it says, And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Do you see what it says here? And some of the versions have this idea of repent, that God repents. God has a change in direction in response to what? In response to that heart that humbles itself before him. God relents and he responds to our hearts. I want to say to you this, you know, looking at the whole picture and looking at what's going on in the world can be very disheartening and I get very just down about it sometimes. But but these verses show me a little bit of hope is that if we turn to him, that he can change what he has planned on doing. Will we turn to him is the question. But let me read to you what somebody wrote, a guy named Bruce Wilkinson. It says that, that he argues that revival is possible and judgment can be averted, but only at the price of broken hearts and changed lives. Let me read that to you again. This is, this is absolutely essential. He argues that revival is possible and judgment can be averted, but only at the price of broken hearts and changed lives. Judgment doesn't have to come because it says here that he relents in, in response to broken hearts and changed lives, those that will follow after him, whether it's on an individual level or a corporate nation level, if our, if our nation would, re, would repent and turn to God and, and pray for God's mercy, something radical could happen and would happen. I believe that with all my heart. The question is, will we? Let's go ahead and finish this section. We're going to read quickly through uh, 
verses 15 through 27. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders and gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Not bless me, Lord, but spare your people. Have mercy, not God bless America, but God have mercy. Spare this country, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them. And look at, and look at how God blesses in response to their prayer, in response to their turning hearts. I am sending you grain, new wine and oil. Enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. And the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. You see the change? You see the difference from what we read in the first part of the chapter? All in response to what happens in verses 12 and 13. But look at verse 25. I will repay you. I will restore for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you, and never again will my people be ashamed. And then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. Is that incredible or what? Do you see what he says there in verse 25? He's going to restore even the, the bad stuff that has already happened. He's going, to, he's going to do something about that too. He's going to restore to us the years that the locust ate, the wasted time. Charles Spurgeon said, You cannot have back your time, but there's a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings. God can restore those wasted years. It's never too late. Now is a good time, but you say, well, you know, I've already, so much bad has already happened. God can restore. God can change. God can bring blessings that, that, that you thought you could never have. But the ultimate goal is found there in verse 27. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God. There is no other, that relationship with him. Even now, Return to me with all your heart. 
Rend your heart, not your garments, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Let's pray, shall we? Our great and mighty God, we thank you for your word. And uh, though we uh, find it hard to hear sometimes and hard to speak sometimes, we know that it's the truth. Your word is truth. And so we come and, and we examine our own hearts before you. We, we bring our hearts before you. Maybe we're, maybe we're good. Maybe our hearts are soft and pliable and we've, we've humbled ourselves and we, we're, we stay in that place of being broken and contrite before you because the way down is up. The way up is down. Father, keep us on that path if that's where we are. Keep us in that place where we can be molded like clay in the potter's hand. Maybe some of us are, are, are not quite at that place and we need to just come and just say, God, have mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm just a sinner and I need your grace. I need that, that grace and that compassion, that love, and that patience and that kindness. And I turn to you today because of who you are. Because you gave your son, Jesus, to die for me. You showed, you showed what love really was by sending your one and only son to die on the cross for my sin. And so I owe you everything. Because you gave me everything. Father, you know where each one of us is today. You know, the, you know what's in our hearts. Or despite what we might put on the outside. Despite the the mask we might wear, you know, you know, down to the very depths of our being, and we just, we just come in, in the quietness of our own hearts, and we just open it up to you, God. Like Revelation three twenty, you, you stand at the door and knock. Not just unbelievers, but believers. Sometimes you have been left out, and you knock. And if anyone hears his voice, hears that knock, and opens up to him, he'll come in and have fellowship and and eat and partake with us. Father, we open the door to you today. We open ourselves, our lives to you, Lord. Keep us in that place, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?